Dear listener, this episode is going to push you to think big. You may be uncomfortable, but that's okay. Here's my challenge to you. We're going to be discussing communication in this increasingly hybrid era. Now, as a society, we've gone from largely in person, with digital interactions only as needed, to almost fully digital for nearly a year for many of us. So as the world reopens in 2021, with much talk of a hybrid era, what will that mean for the future of communication? Will business travel resume to pre-pandemic levels? Will workers come back to the office full-time? And what will a hybrid work environment really look like? Despite so much chatter about it, if we're honest, at the time of this recording, we aren't sure. When you think about designing space going forward, there's a few considerations that have to come into mind. The key metric or the KPI that's being used historically doesn't really fit at this point in time. It used to be how many people can I get into this space and let them work productively? And that metric right now makes no sense. So then the question becomes, what is the new metric that designers should be thinking about and using for the next wave of built environments? That voice was Don Abram, a futurist with Kantar, a data analytics and brand consulting company. We'll hear more from him in just a few minutes. But before we get to our first guest, here's what we ask of you in this episode. Have an open mind. If we return to the normal that we knew, you already know how to interact and nothing needs to change. But this episode is designed to help you explore the what if we don't, or maybe even explore some of the implications for your business and way of working for change that was already happening that only accelerated over the past year. Now this episode consists of two chapters. Each provides a unique lens into the evolution of communication. First, you'll hear inspiration from Noah Waxman, co-founder of architecture, strategy, and technology firm Cactus. In chapter two, we'll hear more from Don. So get ready to challenge how you've been thinking on the topic of communication. Welcome to season two of Design Nerds Anonymous, the podcast that sparks curiosity at the intersection of business and design. I'm your host, Amanda Schneider, founder and president at ThinkLab, the research division of Sandow Design Group and sister company to media brands you know and love like Interior Design, Metropolis, Lux, and more. At ThinkLab, our passion is sharing inspiration for your business, fuel for your design process, and connection with people and ideas for positive disruption. So, thanks for listening. We're glad you're here. Chapter 1. Our first interviewee, and our assistant to setting up this challenge, is Noah Waxman, founder at Cactus, a multidisciplinary design firm rooted in brand strategy, digital technology, and architecture. Meet Noah. My name is Noah Waxman. I am one of the three founders of Cactus. My background is in brand and product and experiential design. And my two co-founders are Marcelo Pontes, an architect, and Lucas Worthein, a software uh, and hardware engineer and technologist. And Cactus is a firm that the three of us started to try to bridge the gap in the design world between these three disciplines, sort of brand and product thinking with spatial design in the form of architecture and interiors with 
software and hardware and technology. And I think that the pandemic forced a lot of people in a lot of different industries who were resistant to some of that reality. I don't know, you know, to kind of just face it. The obvious one is that here we all are in our remote locations talking through Zoom all the time, all day. But, you know, the implications on architectural design and health and wellness, fitness, even entertainment, socialization, even family structures, all of this stuff has just really come to the fore. And that's not news, but it's stuff that we were thinking about well before the pandemic started. And so we're fortunate in the sense that now clients come to us as experts on how to design for that reality. Now, Cactus has been thinking about this for a while, but let's hear Noah's view on impacts to the design industry. The most obvious one that I'm sure everyone in this profession is dealing with is the reality that ultimately it's a relationship business, right? Our relationship uh, and the relationships we form with our clients and with our peers and with our coworkers, that's the stuff that makes the work work. You know, no matter how good designs are in the end, you have to be able to communicate them clearly. And at least for us, but I think for, for just about every designer that I know, you know, having a personal relationship with the client is just a huge part of that. Uh, and that was made very hard when the pandemic started and we couldn't travel anymore, especially the projects that were site-specific, that becomes the challenging. So I don't know, I can talk about the technical stuff, but at the higher level, I think, the pandemic also, I think, forced everyone in every profession to be open-minded to new ways of working and to have, you know, a willingness to experiment, which I loved because I love trying new stuff and I love breaking old patterns. I think that everyone's like, oh, this is so much harder. And, and I want to challenge that thinking and say, it's not harder. It's just newer. Like we've had hundreds of years to develop our, you know, I'm 42. I've had 42 years to develop what it's like to communicate, you know, face to face. We've only had a year to really be forced into this, you know, virtual communication. So it is going to take a little longer. It's going to feel weird. So I want to really paint a picture of how our industry could fundamentally look very different or, you know, maybe not even just our industry, but how our experiences could be fundamentally different from the way we've always known them in the new hybrid era, that the future is not as far off as we might think. I would be lying if I said I knew what's coming in relation to this. Here's what I believe. I believe that the pandemic gave Cactus team license to do things that we always wanted to do. And we did them, and I don't think we're ever going back. I think we would rather be able to live in places that we really love the standard of living and the lifestyles that different regions and climates. I am missing seeing my teammates every day in reality, in physical reality and sharing space. But when I think about what that was that we were doing together that I miss, I don't think it has that much to do with the actual work. I think that that, you know, that personal element that I miss would be even better if we were sharing space and adventure or sharing space and some other kind of experience, culinary experiences, travel experiences, 
thinking experiences, you know, physical pursuits, cultural experiences. And if we can do that and also get the work done the way that we're working now while we're still all socially isolated by mandate, that sounds better than anything the office used to provide. It's just more, it's more, more for everyone. More, 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 win, win. And I, at that point, I can't think of anything that's lost. Scripting really incredible weeks together in far-flung locations once a quarter. I think that's just more fun. It's a more fun way to live. And I don't think the work suffers. I think the work actually is helped by doing that. In fact, on a recent Think Lab Clubhouse session, we described it this way. Future worker needs will be along three axes. Now bear with me while I paint this picture for you. The x-axis will range from individual work to collaborative work. The y-axis will range from synchronous to asynchronous work. And the z-axis will range from face-to-face to fully digital. And where workers need to exist in those spaces could change person-to-person, role-to-role, or even project-to-project. And I think that Again, the pandemic has forced people to break old habits and the way that they consume their experiences and their services and their products so that people are just much more open-minded to these new ways of doing the same old thing, nudge and push each other's drawing or edit something that they're drawing in real time. It's a pretty cool way to share brains and collaborate, honestly, at a more deep level than you might be able to do in person. What I would say is this, architecture is not just architecture. Architecture is the design of everything that you as a stakeholder want to happen in physical space and more and more that doesn't just involve deciding where brick and glass and steel go it it it's you know all tied up in what happens when that person wakes up in the morning and what do they think they're going to get when they arrive in a place and what do they actually get So as we think about the design process, let's go back to what I said a moment ago about the three axes. Let's hear how Noah and Cactus leverage asynchronous for creativity. I really believe in in creative work is getting to medium good or mediocre or even bad ideas just very, very quickly. Go really fast at the beginning. And rather than trying to make some kind of drawn out process whereby no mistakes can be made, Just go in, bull in China shop, and try to break the things you don't believe in, build the things you think might have some legs, and get them down in some form, on paper, in SketchUp, in some quick little mock-up in writing in a Google document, and then get folks together, either asynchronously, right, on Google Docs, or paper, or... I mean, Dropbox paper, interactive paper, or Slack, or whatever platforms you're using, and have people make notes, tear them apart. And there's funny. it's funny because I said asynchronous. I think that's a really big, important lesson to be learned in thinking about how time changes when space can't be shared, right? Time and space are super connected. And it can be asynchronous, which saves everybody a lot of time and effort. People have a chance to think, You find that different personality types can shine. We would all sit together with five or 10 of them in a conference room. The same way of like eliciting reaction to move the work ahead and kind of get a sense for what the creative boundaries on a project are. You can do that the same way or maybe even better with digital tools in asynchronous time 
by lobbing pre-ideas out and getting reaction. And then I think, you know, again, just to kind of follow that thread, what else does it take to run a creative process? It takes some rounds of refinement. Again, I think that those sorts of things are very well done asynchronously, setting out really strict calendars where you're going to get a piece of work on a Monday. We expect feedback by a Wednesday. On Thursday, we all get together and we talk about it for this amount of time. Being pretty strict and having someone on the team. Really, project managers, I think, are more important now that we are remote and asynchronous. They're more important now than ever. Just set out the, the time blocks that you want to give your clients to kind of pontificate with you and then also hold them to account when it comes to giving you feedback. Clients really respect that and really appreciate that. I don't know that that's new during the pandemic or during a new sort of remote hybrid work. Like, I think it's just exaggerated, frankly. I think the normal we knew is gone and we're headed for this hybrid world. Paint a picture for me of what this future hybrid world is going to look like and how we're going to mix these spontaneous interactions with these intentional digital interactions in a way that that is not a recipe for burnout. My bigger, more fun, more ambitious answer is I moved out of the city early in the pandemic with my family. I live way up in the mountains now, in a beautiful and very remote place. And my physical reality is just totally different. I'm not space constrained anymore. We have a barn. There's a lot of places that people can come sleep and we're planning to literally have cactus team groups come together and work, you know, once a quarter or once once every half year in, in project groups and maybe just, you know, share space for three or four days at a time and also go for trail runs or go for walks or go swimming, you know, or, uh, or skiing and, and cook some meals together in a beautiful remote place that feels nothing like work. Because I do think that being on Zoom all day, trying to hustle as hard as you can, knowing how much Zoom can just devour an entire eight or 10 hour workday, you can't just do that day in, day out forever and expect, expect to have a company with robust culture and expect to have people like each other and form bonds. So, you know, whether it's up here where I now live, where we're kind of trying to create a little bit of a retreat for for cactus team so we'll get the whole team together again once or twice a year in a really fun location and yeah there'll be work but like let's call it a you know a three-hour work day and 10-hour play day right i'm very optimistic that by not having as much of a rent burden as we used to have that cactus at our size for our type of work for our type of team will be able to be better as a result of that kind of instituted play. For you New Yorkers listening, this next part might be hard to hear. Or for anyone who thinks that architects should be leading the charge in coming back to work, to which I would argue we have been at work for a while. Let's hear about Cactus's current attitude towards their lease. We do not currently have a lease in New York, which is our hometown. Cactus is a New York company. Many of us are New Yorkers, you know, for life, whatever that means. Will we have an office in the future? Honestly, I do not know. I think the chances of ha us having no physical space in New York by 
you know, mid 22 and beyond is slim. We will. We will have something. Will we share it with others? Maybe. Will it be our own dedicated office like we used to have? Maybe. The, the Rio office, we leased space in a shared, you know, sort of a club or co-working space. I think we'll probably go back to that. But the other truth is that our team members, including myself, have now fanned out and lived not permanently, but indefinitely in a lot of faraway lands. And it's it's working okay. So I think we might you know, not really have anybody required to really report to anywhere physical anytime soon. According to the Wall Street Journal, the year the COVID-19 pandemic forced many Americans to stay home, more than 7 million households moved to a different county, nearly half a million more households than in 2019. What I applaud about Cactus is their openness to recognize that they don't have all the answers. Experiment big, see what they learn, and recognize that some of the changes from the last year may be here to stay, while others are just allowing them to make the most of an opportunity for mad experimentation. But as we close out chapter one, perhaps my favorite quote from this interview was this. There's no reason to think about architecture as forms and volumes and space in isolation. It doesn't make sense. So I think that's the gauntlet that I would throw down is if you're an architect, if you're an interiors person, if you're a commercial real estate developer, thinking of architects as working in isolation of digital designers and of experiential designers, you're not going to get all the way to wherever. I don't even know who you, hypothetical listener, what industry you're in, but I'm pretty sure you won't get where you're trying to get to by just thinking in isolation. Chapter two. All right, so we've heard inspiration from Noah with Cactus as our in-industry expert about how one firm is still exploring new ways of communication in this hybrid era. But let's meet our next guest, Don, a futurist bringing perspective from outside the industry to help us think even bigger. My name is Don Abraham. I'm a senior partner at the consulting practice at Kantar. And in my role, I basically have three jobs. I spend my time leading the foresight practice, which is helping companies to think about the future. I lead the innovation practice, which is what do you do about it once you've had a chance to think about the future. And I lead the sustainable transformation practice, which is a newer practice at Kantar, focused on the question of how do you transform your business in line with sustainable goals? So if you've got goals, how do we help you achieve those goals? And if you don't have goals, what are the things you ultimately need to think about going forward to shape a better future? So those are the kinds of things that I do at Kantar. I have a chance to lead a few engagements every year and a great team of brilliant thinkers. And I used to spend all my time on the road. And yet here I am in my attic in New Jersey speaking with you now. And I think that's a fascinating way to kind of start this conversation. As we look at the future of, of business and business travel, to me, that's going to have a huge effect on, on the future of communication and how we communicate, whether it's in person or whether it's digitally. I want to repeat that. The future of communication may be very different depending on whether digital or in-person, and think about my XYZ axis that I explained before, maybe a few other things, and the answer is just not quite clear yet. The world that we're living in right now is almost good enough, but not yet good enough. And to me, one of the key things to take away from our current reality as I think about the future is we have a lot of making up to do in terms of the way that we're interacting. The technology that we're using today is almost a band-aid. And now we're, we're in this really weird hybrid state of making smart conversation for 59 minutes 
And after about that amount of time, you sort of need a break and you want to go somewhere and have a transition point. And to me, communication is suffering because we have not yet been given the tools or created the tools to get this done properly. And I think about the communication world that we're living in. It's a very, very restricted, limited and opportunity filled space that presents tremendous opportunity for architects and builders and communication executives and all types of executives to think about what are the next wave of innovations going to look like. When I look at the world we're living in in Zoom, we're only using sight and sound and it's exhausting. And I am so relieved to hop on a clubhouse or an old fashioned phone call, <laughs> you know, just because my senses are so overextended and overwhelmed from so much of a good thing. As you kind of think about the immersion of the senses, will the future, especially technology as we're able to control it, will it be about immersing all of the senses or is there relief in isolating that audio only sense, you know, as we're doing on this podcast that allows you to kind of engage with the senses you're ready to experience in, in any given moment or any given tasks or any different interaction? So the two ways that I think about this are it's about senses and it's about symbols. Senses to me are really important because we talk about senses in terms of I only have my audio working right now. I'm able to hear this conversation and it actually feels natural because I can hear voices. But if the visual were added to this and we were looking at each other right now, it would be overwhelming. There's obviously no smell or touch involved in this whatsoever. So we are absolutely missing many, frankly, more than average, more than the half of our senses are not part of this. But the symbols part of this is equally important. Because right now, the symbols part used to be I would walk into an office with a impressive edifice. I would get my senses fired up that I'm walking into an environment. And when you walk into that environment, it's exciting to actually have that spike of dopamine, that energy rush, that stress point come in. Your entire body reacts because of the symbols that you're facing and the elevator ride, the escalator lift, whatever it may be, the sights, the sounds, and all those non-classic uh, senses kick in in a meaningful way through the symbols that we deal with. Part of it is even how we dress. And part of it is also the room that we're sitting in because transitions are really about the ability to switch on and switch off in a meaningful way. And right now we are struggling with the ability to do that, which is why concepts like Clubhouse are attractive. It allows us to transition in another way to another form. Fact is all of them are equally exhausting and none of them are actually natural. So we have a long way to go as a result of this massive disruption known as COVID to get to a place of natural, which is kind of weird because we've gone from not natural, hyper-technological, and now seeking out natural again as a transition to the third stage. To me, that is the next decade of communication. How do we find a way to bring natural back into the picture? And I'm not talking about trees and wilderness, which is beautiful. I'm talking about natural interactions, which right now are definitely missing. One of the things that I would argue isn't thought about enough is it introduced a whole new wave of rituals. Don spoke about symbols and senses before, but let's hear his take on re-establishing rituals and why it's difficult. Now I talked about symbols before, rituals is another dimension that really frankly plays a huge role in how we think about the future. Because before the pandemic kicked in, there were plenty of rituals that we had. Now we have no understanding of our rituals across our fellow man. But I can tell you this, there are rituals that existed before that have persisted there are rituals that existed before that were never good rituals in the first place that have gone away. And there are new rituals that have emerged that none of us knows anything about. And we now have to think about the question, 
what are those rituals that have gone away? What are those rituals that have emerged? And how do we think about them in new ways? Let's hear an example from Don about events and how we may need to think about new symbols and rituals at our events as well. Last summer, we did some work and we talked to people like Dan Ariely, who's one of the leading behavioral economists of our time. Talked to Kevin Kelly, who's one of the leading technologists of our time. We talked to him about live events. And one of the things that Kevin Kelly talked about was he said, listen, when you go to a conference historically, you know, in olden times, you would actually have three kinds of attendees. You would either have people that were there for the content. You would possibly have people that were there for the content and the networking. And then you would have people that were there for the food and the social aspect of the conference. But right now we tune into things and the only thing we get is the direct connection to the content being thrown our way. I cannot whisper to the person next to you how fascinating this work is, where are we gonna go for drinks? There's no whisper technology whatsoever. There's no note passing whatsoever. There's no side to side, one to one. There's only one to many in the form of the chat, which is somewhat ridiculous because again, as humans, you never at a conference when you wanted to say something to somebody ran up to the stage and yelled it out to the entire audience. This is what I think about what was just put up on the slide. But yet that's the world that we're living in right now as an indicator of just how far we are from human. We are not living a human interactive existence. So how could we alter those events? Dan Ariely helped me to reframe the idea of the value of being in person. And his point was very simple. He said, listen, if I show up to speak at a conference, I've got an hour to speak on the stage, and I take 45 minutes of that hour to offer my thoughts, and I've got 15 minutes to take any questions that come out of it, which is fundamentally idiotic and upside down. Because the fact is, there's no reason why I shouldn't release my talk in a podcast the night before to attendees and maximize that hour for interaction and discussion. Getting back to the putting the human aspect back at the center, the transfer of knowledge can happen in so many ways now. We have so many tools. We've now experienced so many rituals. The question for me becomes, what are all those places where we actually historically have not taken enough advantage and underappreciated the value of in-person? And how do we maximize that in a meaningful way? Because at the end of the day, there are plenty of things that we can do remotely, absolutely. There's also a whole host of things as humans that we should do in person. And to me, as I think about the conversations that I've had, the things that I've read, they all point back to the return in the next marketplace to a more human interaction that isn't wasting time on airplanes, but actually maximizing in person. That isn't wasting time thinking about all the ways I could get somewhere, but instead maximizing the point of the journey in the first place. And to me, as I think about what comes next, there are gigantic opportunities that those conversations have turned me onto that have me pretty excited about what comes next. Now, to your other point, there are conferences and there are also work environments that have started doing really interesting things, signaling rituals ahead of time. What do I mean by that? So you've probably seen over the past few months pictures of offices that are open that have three buckets with lanyards when you come in the entrance. There's a yellow lanyard, a green lanyard, and a red lanyard. Yellow lanyard means I'm okay going in the same room with somebody, but please let's not shake hands. Green means bring it on, let's do that, I'll give you a hug all day long, let's go. And red means no, I'm sitting at my desk, please don't approach. So those kinds of visual cues never existed before because the bottom line is you walked into an office 
office, you shook everybody's hands, you gave some hugs, you moved into a conference room, you didn't think twice about it, somebody sneezed at you, you felt gross, you washed your hands, and you moved on. We are in a different world now where all of those kinds of things, as a result of the word that sticks out in my mind from the past year of being introduced to spittle, you all of a sudden have sensitivities in ways you never did before, because you're now looking around going, this is disgusting. And as a result, you now have a whole host of challenges around rituals. And those rituals include everything of, are we going to shake hands? And is that being communicated ahead of time that, you know what, we are going to get together. And when we get together, I just want you to know that I'm perfectly happy with any kind of interaction, including shaking hands. And you would respond and say, actually, that makes one of us keep your handshake to yourself, which is cool. But those kinds of communications now need to be added to, are we meeting for coffee or drinks? And what are we doing? And there's a whole new language that needs to be formed to allow those rituals to take root because we are in a very weird period of time where human classic human interaction is not appropriate which is kind of a weird concept so from a development perspective we got to think about what are those visual cues in terms of do I touch the handrail on the door? Do I actually push the button on the elevator? Is everything off the app on my phone? How are we actually thinking about interactions and how considerate and considered can we be? Because again, this is a concept that we cannot forget. This idea of a pandemic, which was a viral concept and a biological event, this isn't the last time we're gonna experience this. So in the next 50 years, and a lot of office buildings last 30 to 50 years, we have to have a new frame of reference in terms of what we are trying to allow the people that work in the environment to do. And as workers, we have to be much more considerate and frankly, open and frankly a bit aggressive about stating those new rituals so that when we do get together we know how to behave in some ways the joke that we've been talking about is humans workers need to go to some version of kindergarten again and kindergarten teaches you how to play well with others now you may be wondering yes but are we really forever changed or will we at some point go back to normal when I think of every other disruptive event in my lifetime, there's a lasting effect. For example, from 2001, we still have turnstiles, if you see something, say something, campaigns, and I can still no longer walk my grandma to her airline gate. And while those changes felt big in the moment, they all seem very normal to us now. But pro tip, if you run into Don on the street, don't ask him when we're going back to normal. The question of when are we going to get back to normal? That's a question that I wish would be banished from conversation because it's idiotic on several fronts. The idea of getting back to some version of normal, first of all, presupposes that 2019 was the pinnacle of civilization and the best that we could possibly do, which makes absolutely zero sense. So the idea of getting back to that doesn't make any sense, but it also in some ways harkens to this concept that what happened is now washed away and we've all taken a warm shower and we can now literally put on new clothes and get back to what we were doing. And the fact is, as a result of all of these rituals, as a result of this tension between urgency and caution, there's a whole new landscape that we at Kantar refer to as the next marketplace. And we would argue that architects and designers and people in all spaces need to think about this idea of the next marketplace, which will be different from the previous marketplace. So let's hear more about the idea of the next marketplace. You'll notice that Don chooses his words very wisely here. Not back to normal, not even the next normal, but 
the next marketplace. And the Fed chairman made a comment back in November that was brilliant. And he said, yes, we are on the road to recovery, but to a new economy. And ultimately, we looked at that and said, you're right. You're absolutely right. It is not the old economy. It is not a new normal in some ways, because evoking that concept of normality is absolutely malpractice at this point. So instead, we got to think about it as, listen, there's new marketplaces or a new marketplace taking shape and rising all around us. And that new marketplace is going to have new contours, new, frankly, chasms, new mountains to climb, new opportunities, places to explore. And the thing that I try and work with our clients to understand is there is nothing less than tremendous opportunity around us if we take the time to appreciate the fact that what used to exist doesn't really matter so much because of all the changes to the way we live our lives, the way we shop, the way we interact with each other, the way we think about our spaces, the way we connect with our community, the way that we socialize with our friends. Every aspect of how we connect, how we consume, how we live has changed. Telemedicine is a concept that a year ago, well, more than a year ago, you wouldn't have the ability to actually access because it was one of those things that was supposed to happen in 2025 if we were lucky. Well, that just happened. DTC models a year and a half ago were largely written off as they don't work because people don't shop that way. That just happened. So we have to all go down the list of all the foundational changes of if you're an employee of mine, you have to be in the office. Well, that just changed. And you can literally make a list of all the variables that have changed, which ultimately to us are extremely exciting signals that we are entering and are currently living in the next marketplace, which has distinctly different needs, opportunities, and challenges than the old marketplace. We have to remember the fact that this disruption is not a once in a lifetime kind of event. In fact, this disruption was not only predictable, and there are plenty of our clients who are ready for a global pandemic. We are currently living in an era of disruptions. And if you go back to the year 2000, we've had at least a dozen disruptions that have happened. This one hit us on a global scale. But the one thing that business leaders need to start to think about going forward is in an era of disruption, the next marketplace is going to feature ongoing disruptions. And as business leaders, it's our job to start preparing for those. So... If we are, in fact, living in an era of disruptions, where's the opportunity, especially for those of us creating the next built environments moving forward? And to me, culture at a crossroads is a really, really interesting and challenging concept, which is in 2016, Kantar coined the 2016 election all about fragment nation, because it was about the fact that there were deep divisions and polarization across the political landscape. Jump forward five years and culture at a crossroads is absolutely where we are. Because if you look across the fabric of the United States, you could roughly say that half of the country vehemently disagrees with the other half of the country on almost any significant topic. In fact, it's harder and harder to find topics that you would think Americans can come together on. It used to be after horrible events like 9-11 that the United States would come together as Americans and say, we actually believe in what we're coming together to defend, which is our lives. Coming out of COVID, we are in a very different space. So as you think about developers building new spaces, we have to take the cultural fragmentation into mind because of all the deep fissures that exist. And those fissures exist politically and have for a while. Economically, they have for a while. Racially, they have for a while. Biologically, in terms of your defensiveness 
or your desire and concerns around things like COVID, those are all division lines and cracks and fissures that ultimately this idea of culture at a crossroads really creates massive new challenges, but also massive new opportunities that were never considered before. And all of this ties back to the central point that the human has to get back to the center of our consideration set, because from a cultural perspective, we are divided in ways we've never been before. From a sustainability perspective, we are under threat in ways that we never were before. And ultimately, from a productivity perspective, we are challenged in ways that we never were before. So I think about those three as significant issues for us to consider going forward in the next decade. As we close out episode four, I want to thank our season two sponsors, Mannington Commercial and Kilhauer. We purposefully picked these sponsors this season because they represent companies that are bringing new techniques and thinking from outside of our industry and applying it inside our industry in new and exciting ways. For anyone who wants the cliff notes, let's hear from Megan Sherwin, CMO at Kielhauer, about her takeaways from this episode. I loved this episode about the future of the workplace and this notion of a hybrid model. My name is Megan Sherwin. I'm the CMO of Kielhauer. And as a furniture manufacturer, Kielhauer thinks about the future of the workplace every day, all day. One of my favorite provocations in this episode is this notion of the three axes we need to explore for the right workplace environment. So let's break them down. One, there's going to be a spectrum of how collaborative versus heads down, individual centric, the workspace needs are. Second, and this is another variable, will be the synchronous to the asynchronous type of work that we all have to do every day. And finally, the physical connectivity required, that collaborative in-person connections versus what we can do via digital. These three axes and the deltas between them, or the variables, allows for a lot of space for creativity, design thinking, and innovation, which means it's an exciting time for workplace design. We have a lot of room to grow and learn and play and optimize. It's really, really an exciting time. But I have to say I agree with both Amanda and Noah. This isn't going to happen overnight. We need to give our culture time and space to reframe this new hybrid model. Yeah, I'm going to say it. It, it may be a more digital-centric world moving forward. We're going to be building new symbols, rituals, habits, and practices. And that takes time as a culture and as a community. Thank you. Hope you learned as much as I did and you got some provocations out of this. Want more tangible tips on how to reframe your business in this new hybrid era? We hope you'll join us for next week's episode. The future is hybrid. We'll go deep with remote evangelist Betsy Beulah. And <laughs> yep, that's a real title. She's from GitLab, a leading remote first company. You'll leave with tangible tips you can incorporate into your own business or even provide inspiration for client projects. In the meantime, if you want more from ThinkLab, we'd like to invite you to join us on Clubhouse. We've been exploring the future of communication ourselves in true tech style by jumping into the free audio-only social app. We love the casual coffee chat style, where each week we bring amazing guests and engage in authentic conversation with you. We also like that you can choose your own level of interaction, so you can listen as we discuss topics of industry evolution or lend your voice to the conversation, literally. 
We see it as more than just a communication platform. It's really a connection tool. After all, where else can you pop in on an app on a Friday morning and find yourself chatting directly with Mina Credick at Perkins & Will, titled the Adam Grant of the interiors industry, or Kate Lister, president of research firm Global Workplace Analytics, or even authors like Rex Miller. You can join us on Clubhouse every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern by searching Design Plus Data with ThinkLab on the Clubhouse app. We hope you'll come be part of the conversation. Special thanks in this episode to Hannah Vitti, our audio intern from last season, now turned producer for all Sandow Sister Company podcasts, including the Mike from NYC by Design and Deep Green from Metropolis. And thanks to Blue Dot Sessions for the music. 